Hello. This is the Fight Back Podcast, hosted by exercise scientist Georgia Very. Here you'll find a series of honest conversations about martial arts and mental health. My guests and I explore the statement that every martial artist has heard. Martial arts saved me. How and why do combat sports save people? Listen to find out. Hey there, Conscious Combat Soul. What, you? Yes, I'm talking to you. If you listen to this podcast, then you are a human being who loves combat and wants to be conscious about the way that you're doing it. You're interested in being more trauma-informed, more inclusive, and more ethical in the way that you teach and participate in martial arts and combat sports. And that's why I would like to invite you specifically to join our new group, the Conscious Combat Club. We're on Facebook, and there's an emailing newsletter that you can sign up for, the details for both of which are in the show notes here. But now, let's get to today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Fight Back podcast. Everyone, today is Human Rights Day, the final day of the 16 days of activism against gender-based violence. I am here today with the incredible Penny McKay and Misha Hall, who are the driving forces behind the progression of the Fight Back project that I know you're all going to love, love, love hearing about at the start of 2023 and beyond. Misha and Penny, welcome to the show. Thanks, Georgia. So happy to be here. <laughs> we love, we love. Now, both of you have been on the podcast one or more times, have been certainly around the Fight Back Project. So people might be a little bit aware of you, but for those who are coming in new, uh, can you please summarize who you are, what you have to do with martial arts, um, and what brings you to this conversation? Maybe we'll start with Penny. Sure. Hello. Um yeah, my name is Penny. I use she and they pronouns. Um, I am first and foremost a Fight Back Project graduate. Um, I think the first uh, in-person program that Georgia ran actually. So um, yeah, and apart from that, I'm also a LGBTQ inclusion advisor and I support the people, culture and inclusion work of the Fight Back Project. Um, so there's a little bit about me. Yeah, Misha. And my name's Misha. My pronouns are she, her. Uh, also a graduate of the Fight Back Project. Um, did it with George, or completed the program online with Georgia during COVID. So that's essentially how I came into play. Uh, also, my martial arts background is in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And, and-, and my role at the Fight Back Project is partnerships and relationships. So Woo. I'll be helping building that. That was not my and. My and was going to be like, and I'm a world motherfucking champion. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm also a world champion Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you are queen. Um, so everyone, we're here today to talk everything really about how we can connect to ourselves, connect to our womanhood, help each other through what is a really, really difficult time at the moment. This has been coming up in various classes that I've been teaching about just how heavy it is to hold this work of of progress, of trying to make the world a safer, more inclusive space, of us trying to step away from or, you know, put 
policy and societal change in place that's going to eliminate gender-based violence. It's really, really heavy at the moment. So we hope that this will be an episode um, to help educate you about some of the drivers behind gender-based violence, but really more so some coping tools, some ways we can think about things, some ways that we can bring joy into what's a really, really dark and difficult space a lot of the time. Uh, let's start with Penny. I'm wondering what's some of the things that have been helping you during the last 16 days? Sure, yeah. I mean, I think that it's a difficult period. You know, we've seen uh, so much conversation and uh, pushback around the recent Lerman trial and and that outcome. Um, It's a particularly difficult time, I think, to be discussing and unpacking gender-based violence and, and probably an even more difficult time to be talking about how we can find joy um, and practice joy and and self-love and self-care throughout that period. Um, You know, I I think that one of the hardest things that we can do as human beings is sit with emotional complexity and how we can hold grief and joy at the same time. Um, So for me, you know, I have my own little rituals, um, even if that's just finding, you know, ways of movement that are perhaps slower than usual. you know, practicing slow kickboxing movements and yin yoga instead of like, you know, trying to squeeze in as many downward dogs as I can in 10 minutes. Um, But yeah, I think just also feeling where that grief sits in your body and making space for that and allowing that. Um, So I think that that's what's been helping me really just reflecting deeply on um, not judging uh, those emotions that come up um, and just allowing space for them to be. Yeah, I think two of the big questions that we posed, Penny and I posed recently were speaking at the Pride and Sport Conference was what would a more grounded world look like and what would a more embodied world look like? And I think the ability to practice self-care, acceptance, to sit with things starts with being able to feel them fully and all of those emotions sit in our body. And so saying, you know, where do I feel that discomfort? Where do I feel that fatigue? Because you'll feel it in your body before it gets to the point where you're completely overwhelmed and then maybe your immune system's compromised and you get sick um, Mm -hmm. or you just completely crash and it takes you a week or, or more to recover from the burnout. And the burnout doesn't just have to be from playing too much sport or doing too much work. Burnout can also be from holding too much grief and stress mm. and shame and guilt and and not giving it space to move through and also not giving yourself space to take a break um, mm. as well too, you know, to to switch off. In, there are many people listening to this podcast and we'll get into some of the, the various intersections at play here as well too. Don't get to put some of these things down ever. You know, these are very much embedded in the way that we interact with society. Um, so like a good example of that might be it's possible for me to, at the end of the day, switch off my phone from seeing the statistics around gender-based violence and go to my partner who's not abusive and is, in fact, supportive and loving. Whereas for somebody else, they're hearing about all these things in the world and that's also ongoing for them in their home space and they don't get to take a break from it. And there can be guilt around feeling like, you know, they don't get to do that. Why should I get to do that? But then also realizing as cliche as it sounds, you cannot pour from an empty cup, right? So thinking about 
how all of those things are into play and, and it's super, super nuanced and rich conversation that we'll um, continue into. But yeah, Misha, I'm curious as well for you, like how have you been taking some of this news? How have you been working with it? How have you been sitting uh, with the state of the world? Definitely over the past 16 days have been tapping, and this is unconsciously as well, I'll add, um, have been just wanting to sit with women and tapping into a really deep state of sisterhood and and calling out to to women, calling out to women in my social circle just to do things as women together. And and what you were saying before about feeling that that burn like before the state of burnout, you know, like and and doing things for yourself and looking after yourself. Tuesday I I didn't even realize how I was feeling. I didn't realize I was feeling low and that I was upset. And then in the morning, my heart just said to me, you're going to go to Byron Bay. And then while striving to buy, and I listened, right. And, and I, I fully, I fully accept that not everyone has that sort of freedom and not everyone has like is able to, to do that sort of thing. So I'm totally, I understand I'm privileged in that sense on the way there went to Crystal Castle and just spent the day by myself. I bought a book called um, Women Who Run With Wolves. I'm not sure if either of you have read it. I have not had the pleasure and I bought it. And when I got home, I started reading it and I was like, did I just drive to Byron Bay to buy a book? Like, did I just drive an hour and a half just to buy one book? And the book it talks about deep sisterhood and how we can really connect with each other and become wild again, but not, but not in a sense of, you know, we're crazy women, but holding space for each other. And then last night I was going to go to training. I was like, I'm actually really tired and I need to look after myself. So I called one of my girlfriends and I was like, Hey, it's full moon. Do you feel like going to the beach and just chilling out with some crystals in our journals? And I was like, okay, let's do this. And just calling into a deep sense of sisterhood and making, and also corralling women together and saying, Hey, let's do this together. Let's, let's be there for one another. And I'm not entirely sure if that's like, I, a lot of the news that's come out recently when when I read things and see that, okay, during the 16 days of activism, you know, so, um, like someone gets really hurt or, you know, there, there are like violent events that are happening. It It's easy to, to get triggered by it and get mad. But I think what healthiest for me during that time was just to, surround myself with powerful with powerful people powerful friends and just make sure that we're there together for each other and and encourage each other to to talk about what's going on to to express your feelings and make sure that there's always a safe space to talk I talked a lot. Sorry, George. I love that so much. I know, me too. <laughs> actually beautifully segues into talking about womanhood, which is a term mm. I think all three of us just use quite repeatedly. So what do we mean by womanhood and, and what are some of the ways that we can be expansive in our relationships to womanhood? I think, Penny, maybe if you want to take this first. Yeah, of course. It's such a beautiful reflection. Um 
which I really love. And womanhood has been complex for me. It's something I've grown into. Um, I think like growing up in the presence of so much heavy misogyny, abuse, gender-based violence, patriarchy, like, you know, all the worst sort of points of, of that really made me resent womanhood and what that represented. And I really, I think, tried to borrow heavily from what I perceived as um, strength through aligning more heavily with my masculine side. And um, it took me a really long time to want to connect with other women and, you know, I guess unlearn that that toxic kind of misogyny I'd um, internalised. Uh, so it's just been such a lovely, joyous venture, to be honest. I even got um, the Divine Feminine symbol tattooed on my chest, like, uh, <laughs> it's after my 30th birthday. Um, and, yeah, even just, like, exploring colours, exploring uh connections and how beautiful connection with feminine energy can be in the absence of competition you know like because we are socialized to be brought up to compete with each other for the attention of men primarily you know we live in a really heterosexist world in that way and I think that that robs us of so much community and so much joy and so I guess when we think about being expansive it's kind of really quite radical to do the opposite of that right and to connect with each other without uh, competition and without judgment and without shame around who we are. And we just open up so many opportunities. And I was thinking, as Mish said, and this is probably a bit of a paraphrase of something I saw Brene Brown say recently, um, but in the presence of deep connection and vulnerability, shame cannot survive. And I just thought, you know, really captures the spirit, I think, of what we're trying to say today um, and, and reflecting on on human rights, um, you know, the right to community, the right to freedom of expression, um, the right to connection. All of those things make up core components of our well-being and our, our humanity. And I think that that's, yeah, really integral to what we're talking about. It seems almost radical to think about being vulnerable when we are still under patriarchy, right? Mm -hmm. To be like, even though everything about our lives is set up under a system of power over, I'm not going to exist within that system and do things like, you know, competing against other women, competing against other people for resources, you know, feeling like if I can need to take things from someone else in order to get things, being in this real space of, individualism and atomism as well so you know looking after yourself and the people close to you rather than the whole of community really the the opposite of thinking about things like none of us are free until all of us are free to actually embody that now before we have dismantled the patriarchy really in any meaningful way it's still very much alive is so vulnerable like to be vulnerable within that space is additionally vulnerable because the the world that we live in doesn't reward you for doing that a lot of the time. And so we mm -hmm. have to create spaces where that's possible and that's part of the work that we're doing, right, is helping people practice martial arts, for example, in spaces where they can be vulnerable is another way to I also talk a lot about how connecting to your body is a, an act against the patriarchy and how making choice is an act of defiance against the patriarchy. But really being vulnerable within spaces is also an act of defiance within the patriarchy that is risky, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a very brave thing to do as well too. It's super underrated. 
Absolutely. Do you have any thoughts about this, Mish? About journey into womanhood? Yeah, girl. Oh, Penny, when you were t- when you were t- <laughs> telling, oh, you know, like I just resented it and like really stepped into masculine because of how much resentment you had. I grew up in a household, Penny, where if you were a boy, you didn't have to clean. Where you're a boy, you didn't have to cook. And I was like, man, this being a girl stuff sucks. I don't want to wear dresses. I want to be a boy. I don't want to do girl jobs. I don't want to be associated with any of that stuff. What? You're going to teach me how to how to read tarot cards? No, boring. Then I have to cook and, and do the dishes. No, thank you. Yeah, like I was so hard into my masculine energy that like my feminine energy just was screaming to come out and it's something that this year in particular I remember at the start of the year I was like you know I'm I'm going to open myself to up to my feminine energy and I thought I was doing all these things that were super radical at the time oh my gosh how dare you take a day for self-love how oh how radical is it that you could take a day a full day at the beach oh my goodness how what she's doing things for herself (laughs) You're you're yeah. wearing a dress on on a day where you should be wearing workout gear. Like it it took me so long to step into or to even allow feminine energy and accept it. And I feel like that competition, that whole competition mindset against other women and the way that I would speak or oh, not not too far down that rabbit hole, but it still crept in. And ever since really accepting that feminine side to myself and and fully accepting myself and even embracing womanhood, which is insane at 35 years old that it's taken that long, but here we are. It's wild, isn't it? Because it's not really so much about learning, it's about the unlearning because I yes. feel like in a world where we're told to to dull ourselves, to to fall in line, to you know, you can only be uh, feminine in a particular way. Mm. I mean, I'm strong and I'm soft, right? I'm not. Mm. I'm not one of those things. I'm I'm both, and I I still feel very much like I align um, probably more with the masculine side of my femininity. But that's because we all experience it individually um, and uniquely, and I think all of it's really beautiful. Um, and, you know, even just being a part of the Fight Back Project has helped me find that and and reconnect with that as well because we, you know, we spend time in groups of women and, you know, we actively welcome our LGBTQ community, you know, we create a space whereby there's there's nurturing and there's warmth and there's, you know, respectful curiosity and we can bring those things to the table. It's brilliant. Yeah, respectful curiosity is such a big part of that. I think that's where you get the soft and the strong at the same time. It's being like, how am I feeling today? What do I want to do today? What would be aligned for me in this moment? Um, and then the strong is is being able to honour that, which, mm. you know, has many, I can think of many examples of way that, ways that we often don't do that. There's a common expectation in an exercise setting that we've got to go hard, we've got to push hard. Um, you know, and so when the body's saying, please soft, and you're going, no, hard, that, <laughs> you know, it can sometimes feel easier than it is to go, okay, soft, yes. 
um, because that's not what we practice. And, you know, the opposite of that as well can sometimes be true. And the body's saying, please let me hit something. And you're saying, no, that's not me. I couldn't possibly do that. Um, so I think being able to listen to your body is one of the hardest things to do for a lot of people, for a lot of women. Um, and practice is the thing that makes that attainable too. Like for folks listening to this who are like, okay, that all sounds wonderful, everything that you're talking about, but like, how do I implement what you're talking about from, from both of you? I think there's, there's elements of individual work of sitting with yourself and, and whether that's, you know, reading or watching YouTube videos or listening to audio books or finding a way to think about different information. I think part of that's going to spend some time, you know, journaling or deep thinking or, you know, going for a walk without headphones in to reflect on how you want to interact with the world. Um, but then very much having having models to be able to do that too. So having communities where you see other people doing that and where it's socially accepted for you to do that. And that is not necessarily just at the Fightback Project. Like the, I'm sure many communities that allow people to be their true authentic selves. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, just when Mish was talking before as well, I was thinking about how we can create like non-hierarchical spaces to support each other, irrespective of like, you know, how different our, different our experiences might be. And I think this is especially true for folks who have navigated violence, whether that's physical or sexual violence and, and so on. Um, you know, there can be a hierarchy in that, you know, like I've survived more than you have and it's almost like the trauma Olympics sometimes, you know? Um, And that's kind of the opposite of where we want to be, right? Because comparison uh, is not healing. Like I don't feel better because you're being through something worse and and vice versa. Like we can hold space for each other without even going there really by having a universal understanding that, you know, even though our experiences are unique, they are individual, um, we have a collective goal in in the form of, of healing and, and that holistic kind of space we can create through trauma-informed movement especially. Yeah. Do you know what it makes me think of? I was almost like, am I going to bring this up on the podcast? And then I was like, <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, <laughs> Classic so, us. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, for example, one of the things that uh, we – just posted about uh was the me too movement right and so what the the media has done and run with the whole um amber heard versus johnny depp case right um and some pushback that i heard um from how that has been a misappropriation of the the me too movement and really how um the media so so strongly seems to go after the women involved in these situations rather than the men, which is my contention. It's a witch hunt, Georgia. Yeah. It's a, it's a modern day witch hunt. It's Absolutely. literally what it is. So this is the pushback. The pushback that comes is, well, I don't think that that's a very good example because she was abusive towards him. So she hit him. He has recording of her hitting him. She took a shit on his bed. Like she is crazy. So she is not a victim. She is not a survivor because they were just tit for tat going back and forth at each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That definitely is the narrative uh, for sure. I, um, 
In the past, I've supported uh, women who have used force in intimate relationships. Um, they were all survivors. And it's very interesting when we think about, I guess, power and control and where power and control sits within those relationships where people perceive it as an equal abuse of power. Um, and it basically never is. Um, women who are in coercively controlling relationships and abusive relationships sometimes borrow from that system over time. They'll have pushbacks along the way. So, you know, they'll get punched five times, might be hit back one time, and that's where they'll get held accountable, for example. And I saw that over and over again, both with the women who were in prison and also uh, working in the courts as well. Um, and what was uh, very clear to me and what the research tells us is that women are held uh, over and above the level of accountability that men are. Um, and so it's very interesting, I think, when we talk about gender, I think sometimes people struggle to kind of understand how gender is really relevant within these systems and what that actually means. But when we start thinking about it more in the realms of power and control, it becomes, I think, clearer to, to folks who perhaps aren't as, um, you know, across this space as to how it actually impacts our day to day, what that looks like. Uh, because we we do assign women more responsibility. Um, we do uh, assign women more, I guess, uh, you know, responsibility, especially around caregiving um, and being morally upright. And, you know, the gender underpins all of that and those gender roles and it's really, really complicated. Penny, there's so much to that conversation. And I feel like because women are perceived as the nurturer, we're meant to be passive. And when you, like, so I I have been in a in in a relationship where there was significant coercive control, and it wasn't just once; it was, you know, multiple relationships that were like that. Because that was my education, that was my pattern, that was what I had seen and perceived as normal throughout, you know, my upbringing. And each time that throughout those relationships that, and I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, there was never a time where I didn't fight, like where my mind and my survival instincts didn't come out and say, you need to do something. Otherwise, you know, you're going to be seriously hurt. And, you know, I remember being, being in court and having, you know, sitting on a witness stand and having a, a solicitor say, oh, you know, look at the look at the marks on my client's neck, you know, and because because I'd I'd physically like tried to fight, mind you, he's on top of me, you know, like pounding and like the second that I that you know you mm -hmm. respond mm -hmm. and you fight back and you're not that passive in like you know all hands down innocent mm -hmm. then it's it's like a, a witch hunt and and mm -hmm. it's almost like there's of course of course there is going to be pushback and of course there's going to be someone who is like can you imagine being in that like just say like the 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 Johnny Depp and I can't remember the girl's name Amber yeah, Amber Heard, right? Could you imagine being in a coercively controlled relationship with someone who is super famous and mm -hmm. and they would just push you over the edge? And when you're with someone who is 
incredibly controlling. They're not just controlling in terms of like what you do and what you say. They will emotionally manipulate you to thinking to the point where you actually think that you're going insane, like saying things like, I never said that. You're just making up lies. And you start to question everything. You're like, am I actually insane? Am I just making this up? Maybe they are right. And then because they've put you on a pedestal and you, and you know, you believe everything that they say. And I could, I can only imagine what, what would have needed to be said for you to take a shit on someone's bed and just be like, this is my, this is the only way that I can respond. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think we've seen that more recently with Brittany Higgins as well. You know, it wasn't uh, a case between two people. It was, you know, all of Australia getting involved in something where there was dog whistling to um, mm-hmm. conservative media um, mm-hmm. and represented as such. And, uh, you know, coming up against those those um, systems of power is just all encompassing. Um, I can't imagine you know, what she's been through, but uh, we can throw our support behind each other. And that's what I think brings us back to the essence of womanhood, right? Mm. You know, we are all stronger together. We all have a deep understanding and uh, lived experience of what womanhood looks like under power and control and under patriarchy. Um, And we can sit with each other in that and we can figure out the ways that we can help move each other through it as well. And being connected with our bodies in a world that like, you know, shames us about everything we do. Again, mm. it's, I think one of the most radical acts of self-love that we can bring to the table. Yeah. Let's talk about radical self-love and radical joy. I think for, for me, that journey was moving from my body as being something that did sport, something that um, was a physical representation of what I thought beauty looked like, was something for me to externally control in every single way, was something for me to have power over, really, Mm -hmm. to make it into something that was fit enough, something that was strong enough, something that was beautiful enough. And all of those things like you're so fit, you're so strong, you're so beautiful, sound positive and so it can be really quite sinister um however that relationship is quite distinct from being in your body enjoying being in your body and having gratitude for being able to do all of the things that do bring you joy which of course for me in a lot of ways is all centered around various types of martial arts the gratitude that my body is you know strong and and able to kick and punch. Um, And certainly I think that there are many, many ways that people with various disabilities as well can engage in martial arts. And that's not to say that you need to be fully able in any capacity to be able to enjoy martial arts. I think there's many examples of folks who actually um, live with disabilities and, and who are maybe even identify as disabled because that's empowering for them in that, um, you know, they, can use parts of that as a as something that makes them better at their martial art or different in some way, which I think different is oftentimes better, which is my kind of rambling way of saying that I don't want that to be taken in an ableist way in any sense. 
to say, you know, I'm grateful that I can kick and I'm grateful that I can punch. Um, but certainly I am. And being able to find joy in movement rather than a fleeting second of joy at looking in the mirror or a fleeting second of joy at getting likes on Instagram for winning a fight are two very, very different things. And I think it's scarier to step into the moment all of the time and to sit with, because radical joy really involves being in the moment. It's not about being like, once I have that, then I'm going to be happy or, you know, changing things in order to achieve some sort of an outcome, but rather by being process focused or completely absorbed in all of the sensation that can only exist in the present moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think radical joy is also really interesting to think about in the context of when we went to El Salvador, Georgia, and working alongside those women and those communities as well. And, you know, I guess just uh, noticing what joy was like for them as well. And even just being able to come to class for an hour, even when we were running on Sal- Salvadoran time, um, was such a radical act for them. You know, uh, even if they were bringing their children, which of course they were welcome to, and we ended up including them in the class and it was so much fun. Um, but, you know, really that was just for them, uh, even knowing that that existed, even knowing that they're Uh, is a collective of people who care, who are thinking about them as human beings who need and are worthy of connection, love, support and belonging, irrespective of anything to do with uh, political unrest, gender-based violence, police violence, everything else that's going on to be able to connect with um, their womanhood, their humanity, um, having a space for gentleness to just be um is just so incredibly powerful and that's that's universal right um that's something that we can bring to folks whether it's them zooming in their living rooms or in person um and you know regardless of location so i think you know when we think about it through an intersectional lens as well um there's so many ways that connection can happen with your body regardless of um, those intersecting identities. And, you know, for women that I used to work with when I was doing their um, therapeutic work, it was about, you know, sometimes you'll just be able to take one breath for yourself and that's your joyous moment or just like close your eyes for five seconds. It doesn't always have to look like any one thing. Um, Yeah, we can't, I guess, assume that everybody's going to have the same level of access, of course, but I think when we elevate each other, we can elevate all of us. Yeah, I think one of the other things that I guess really struck me about working with the women in El Salvador um, was the discussion around having that hour of the day carved out and what that meant for the other 24 hours in the day. And so when women were saying things like, you know, my day is so hard. I, they have to get up for context. Like it's pretty much a race to see who's going to get up earliest to be able to get access to water because the community was even restricted in, in access to like the most basic things. So they start their day super early. It's so hot. And, and then very much the, the gendered um, role distribution is that women are going to care for the house. And so they have so many tasks to do throughout the day. In order to be able to come to kickboxing, they have a huge list of things that they need to be able to um, accomplish. And 
that they're not necessarily motivated to want to do that. The fact that, um, you know, they have to do that doesn't mean that people are, you know, jumping for joy at uh, doing cleaning and cooking and all of these kind of um, tasks. But they were able to shift their perspective of that because they were like, the fact that I'm getting this done means that I'm going to be able to go to kickboxing. That's what they said to us, right? That's their experience was that it's not just how can I be super present in every single moment, which as a practice, anyone who's tried to meditate will know that that's something that's really difficult to achieve for a whole day to be fully present and enjoying the feeling of the broom in your hands and da da da. Like it's quite a romanticized view of all of these um, daily living tasks that are tasks to women without pay, mind you, which just means that they are completely dependent on their husbands for survivorship. Um, but they were able to find joy in it because it was a means to be allowed or to be able to go and have their hour of time, whether that was with or without their kids. And I think, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's something else in terms of we think of radical joy and being present. It's not just about being present in this moment, but it's also about how all of the moments in our day relate to each other. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, having that blueprint, having that interoception, having that ability to, you know, stitch those pieces together to have a more expansive view of yourself. And then, because if you can't, uh, I guess, place yourself, how do you find yourself in community, right? Like you need to have an idea of who you are in order to be able to relate to other people. And that's something that trauma fractures um, and and can be really hard to um regroup and and to do that and I think that that's why it's so wonderful that you know each of us have been able to find that part of ourselves and and definitely connect um but also just with what Mish was saying before about those household roles and having that really strict kind of you know uh yeah gender roles at home um obviously something we definitely saw play out as well and also something that I grew up with uh yeah. And flipping that on its head, you know, flipping the script is something that I love saying, but it's definitely something we do through conversations like this and through practices like this as well. Any thoughts, Mish? On radical joy. Radical joy. <clears throat> I mean, a crystal cave is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it was pretty good. Uh, just coming back off, off a year of competing and I remember coming back and stepping into the gym and just being so grateful that I could use my body and train for nothing but the sheer joy and fun of moving my body and being fully present in the moment. And I thought, how incredible it was that I was able to do a martial art, how incredible it was that I had this amazing community around me, how incredible it was that I was surrounded by love and support at any given time. And that wasn't just because, you know, because of competition or because of being a competitor. It was just because I did jujitsu and going to the gym and, and, hearing the music playing, seeing your friends and exercise before jiu-jitsu for me was very much, you know, you need to lose weight. You need to look a certain way. And if I went to training, 
don't get me wrong. I've, I've, I used to be, I have a very, very beautiful relationship with exercise and moving my body now, but it, and it, it always has been to be perfectly honest, but it used to be stemmed from this space of, well, if you want to look good for the weekend and you want to look good when you go out and you want men to find you attractive or you want to get compliments from other girls, then you have to go to the gym, which is insane, right? Whereas now when I think of going to the gym and I think of going to training, I'm like, I get to see all my friends. I get to roll. I get to be hey. in the moment. And, <laughs> you know, you walk in and you're just like, ah, blah, blah, like and you're just completely there. That's radical joy to me. Radical joy to me is having a fully embodied experience, being fully in the moment and nothing else exists and not in like a dissociative way, but in a, man, my life is so good. And and after that, being like having moments of recognition for yourself and going, it doesn't have to just be at the gym. It can be when you're driving your car from a meeting or from, you know, like just going to the shops and you're holding your trolley and being like, wow, this is me fully living my life and, and just having those little moments. Having having a moment on the beach with one of your girlfriends and, and walking with a coffee or having having a moment of clarity and being like, wow, in, in a couple of years' time, I'm going to remember this day that I did this thing for myself and by myself being like, wow, I'm making some really cool memories for myself. I'm being a really beautiful human for myself. And when you're a beautiful human for yourself, you're a beautiful human for other people because like, like you girls were saying earlier or Georgia, you were saying, you know, you can't fill, you can't pour from an empty cup. And if you fill your own cup, by providing yourself radical joy, radical self-love, you're going to express that and spread that to everyone that's in your social circle. If they receive that, they're going to spread that out to everyone else. And just I think that it's important for us as as the leaders of the – and I I say this as – all of us, all women and everyone, in fact, is a leader for the next generation, right? And if we want to see the next generation of people who are, you know, they're going to be the next, they're going to be the next people who are running the country and there's so much beautiful change that's happening now. Imagine what the next generation is going to bring. What examples can we set right now? I know, if, I know for myself, my parents didn't do anything for themselves. And when they did, it was like, oh, it was like, oh, you, why would you buy yourself that dress? Why would you buy yourself that? And it was always these external things. It wasn't very much them doing things for themselves. And, you know, I'm excited to see what the next generation is going to look like because they get to see us evolving and you know, really putting self-care and self-love on a pedestal and and prioritizing ourselves. What is the next generation going to look like and the generation after that? We're going to do some really, really incredible changes. 
that's what I've got to say about radical self-love. <laughs> radical love joy. So much. It also it almost makes me a bit emotional hearing you say that about, you know, your motivations for moving your body and how that changed. Because I relate to that so heavily as well. I know all of us have um, you know, individual histories, I guess, with disordered mm. eating and, and whatnot as oh. well. And um, I mean, we can probably do a whole podcast just on that, right? Oh um, my god. God. So <laughs> many deep dives, but I anytime the three of us get together, we know that's inevitable. I think <laughs> but uh yeah it just really changes I think the way that you relate to each other and you know when you said about like looking good for the weekend looking good for you know people finding you attractive and so on um in the in the absence of like that's all shame based right right it's, it's insanity is um and so in the absence of that you just open yourself up for so much more authenticity and like genuine connection with people and it's contagious um I know for sure like unless Georgia had been able to move through those things personally the fight back project wouldn't exist right wouldn't exist wouldn't exist and it made me think as well um of this beautiful quote by Angela Davis I love a good quote as probably everyone knows um but she said um in collectives we find reservoirs of hope and optimism so I think when we think you know think through that collective care is radical because it supports us being sustainable in our actions over time and we see well-being as relational instead of individual so yes self-care always but collective care first because unless we can find ourselves located within community we won't be able to express what we need ourselves you know like unless uh we have trauma-informed gyms and spaces that we know exist and that we're safe in that environment we can't ask for what we need as individuals we can't say to an instructor hey I need a a slower session and know that we're safe to say that or, you know, whatever the case might be. So, you know, the more bridges we can build, the more expansive we can be in terms of like, yes, womanhood, but womanhood located within community, within collective care, the better really. Everyone just take a moment to absorb that. (laughs) (laughs) So much love in the room. (laughs) I find Penny, like when, like just hearing you say that there's also a lot of some people a, a, a lot of individuals whether it be oh, in all community i find because so many voices have been pushed down where the second that someone does feel I don't know if brave is the right word, but I'm going to use it. Yeah, yeah. If someone feels empowered enough to speak, I feel like that's very much important, like, and expressing your needs in in the community as well because I find there's so many many unheard needs. There's so many people who have needs and they might communicate them one-on-one, but they'll feel – they won't feel like it's okay to talk in mm-hmm. in a in like mm-hmm. the a communal space. Mm-hmm. Definitely, um, and I think that that's just so many various tra- forms of identity trauma. I mean, for myself personally, that's having been exposed to community, meaning a church that was uh, incredibly violent. Um, even though it preached the opposite. And so going into any community space where there's, you know, leadership involved, where I can 
express myself freely, openly and be met with care and compassion is the antithesis of that experience for, you know, say men who are raised to be, uh, you know, hyper-masculine, never show emotion or whatever, asking to be able to be vulnerable or to share emotion again is really radical in that situation as well. Um, growing up thinking that, uh, you know, to survive as a woman, you have to be really tough all the time. And then going and sitting on the beach with your crystals and your journals again, like, you know, I, I think it's hard because we often kind of only find our way by doing the opposite to what we were taught we were meant to do. And it's a really hard journey towards that it's it's one that I think we kind of fumble towards but we eventually find our way or you know perhaps that's been more aligned with our journeys and like you said before paving that for future generations means that there's more stepping stones less you know kind of maybe messiness maybe Mm. you know making it easier for people to uh be their authentic selves um and any time that we can help folks, you know, reach that sooner rather than later, I think is miraculous in itself. Mm. Yeah. I always say, I feel like I barely get through an episode of the podcast where I don't mention about how learning needs to be experiential, right? You can't just tell someone in that situation mm. that you don't need to swing the pendulum 100% in the other direction. You don't have to go from black to white. You know, you don't have to go the polar opposite of what you've experienced in order to find where the middle sort of sits. But a lot of people do need to do that because you need to experience things. Someone can't just tell you that's not going to work for you. Oftentimes we need to try that. And when we talk about working with survivors, you can't just tell someone you are safe now. You have to have embodied experiences of safety in order to know that that's true. We are incapable of lying to ourselves despite what all of the you know, people might say around mantras and talk therapy and and not that those things don't have places, super for talk therapy. There's okay. there's so much good there. Um, but it's not enough to just say things. Even if you did a visualization practice every single day, you know, for a year, it's going to shift something, but it's nothing compared to actually physically doing the thing. And if we think about how can we help people have that journey more quickly so that they feel safe and more comfortable for more of their lives. That's all about experience. That's all Mm. about embodied change. It is not about telling them this is what I've learned. So do something different. Cause if that was the case, we would all be 18 year olds who actually knew everything. And in reality, we're all 18 year olds who think we know everything um, because that's not the way that learning works. Learning works as a, an embodied process that only works from feeling the result in yourself. There's no silver bullet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No silver bullet. And also I think, um, I guess what I mean specifically when I say stepping stones and, and things like that is just helping people understand that their responses to what they've experienced are all really normal, understandable, yeah. adaptive, responsive responses to abnormal things that have happened right because I think once we can understand that and get over that shame um for the way that we've responded then we can work towards healing and like you said it's going to be different for everybody um but if we think about trauma as grief stored in the body then it's always going to have an experiential element yeah absolutely 
Um, and everyone's healing journey is so different. Like I was, I was having a conversation with a girlfriend on Sunday and, you know, she's, and, and a few other girlfriends of ours are still, you know, still on their healing journey. And she was asking me, oh, you know, what do you think? What do you know? And I was like, I know that there's no silver bullet. I know that there is no one fix. It's all about kind of just, like you said, Georgia, it's it's all about that experience and, and trying bo- body-based practices, but also like throw the kitchen sink at it. Maybe just trying a whole bunch of different things. Some people will say, "Oh, I, I, I went to a therapist. I saw a psych for a little bit, and it didn't really do much." It's like, well, did you try anything else? Did you try a different therapist? And that's why that's why I'm so excited about what we're what we are collectively doing. You know, imagine a space where there is so much access to so many different services. It's going to be wild. Like, and it's going to show people in a really nice, easy, easily ac- easily accessible space that there are so many different ways that you can choose to, you know, explore healing whatever, you know, whatever trauma you've you've experienced along your journey, and you get to choose which way, like, feels good for you to heal. Hundred percent. I think when we talk about stepping stones, I I feel like at this point I almost have some sort of a map in my mind for depending on where people are at, how they can move towards this space of being in your body and finding radical joy in movement. Um, and so I also want to start by reading a quote. Um, this is a part of. Uh, <laughs> Audrey Lord's novel, or not novel, essay, The Uses of the Erotic, um, which I'll probably yes. link down mm. to the YouTube clip of her reading the essay, which is just like, um, you know, absolutely, absolutely incredible. Um, so one quote from her, because her whole essay is just, genius yeah for as we begin to recognize our deepest feelings we begin to give up of necessity being satisfied with suffering and self-negation and with the numbness which so often seems the only alternative in our society and for me what really stands out there is for as we begin to recognize recognize our deepest feelings and when penny says around the importance of what what we call it the fight back project blueprinting or mapping your body that to me is is the first step in any kind of reconciling healing um you know being able to move towards radical joy is first what do i feel what do I feel and where do I feel it? And if there has been trauma there, that might be a roadblock to that. And so sometimes that needs to be addressed by working with a therapist, um, whether that therapist is doing EMDR or whether they're doing a type of talk therapy or a more somatic therapy, that's going to be super individual based on what speaks to you. There needs to be a level of healing to the point where it's safe for you to connect to your body, owing that it's not always 
safe. It doesn't always feel safe or isn't always physically safe for us connect, to connect to our bodies. And part of that is also societal. And so we need to be able to also remove the harm to people. So that's a progression towards the elimination of gender-based violence, of discrimination, of all the sources of trauma that exist within our world. When we take those away and allow people to feel their bodies, that is the first step is to feel where your body is and to get to know your body and then to get to know what is a yes and what is a no and to feel for what Audrey would Lord would describe as what does the erotic feel like in your body and not in a sexual way explicitly but more in a when you're totally feeling the sun on your face or you're painting a fence and you're absorbed in the joy of applying paint to something else and seeing change within the world that you um, interact with. When you're feeling that, where do you feel that in your body? And then as you interact with your life, you can start to feel, where do I feel that same feeling and where don't I? And how can I bring more things into my life that help me feel that same feeling of when the sun hits my face or when I'm connected to the person where I feel safe in their arms or when I'm with my dog or whatever that safety, warm, fully embodied yes is for you. Finding other ways to bring that into your life and to step away from the no then we start to bring in all these experiences of radical joy and you have a whole toolkit of things that you can step towards, whether that's shadow boxing in your lounge room or whether that's going and lying naked in your backyard when you're feeling like the world is overwhelming and you need to be able to practice self-care in a way that's more than just what capitalism markets to you, in a way that's meaningful to you as an individual. That all starts with a body map and then making choice based on what is a yes and what is a no in your body and over time making those choices and changing your relationship to choice as well, whereby I know that because yesterday I said yes to the little voice telling me that I was going to drive to Byron Bay, therefore I'm starting to have a map of myself and the way that I experience myself as being someone who honours their true authentic self. Um, and every time we say yes to our true authentic selves, we get proof that we can say yes, we do have choice, we do have agency, wherever that's permitted. Um, we start to step into a world that is full of our yes. And that spills out as well to then the people that we interact with, we're going to co-regulate with them, means they're going to pick up on our nervous system, general vibe of yes, and we're vibrating at a high frequency or whatever language speaks to you. And that starts to ripple out into the world and cause we would call radical change. And I have spoken about this before, how that act of giving power to your body, finding power with your body and seeing the power within your body is at direct opposition to having power over your body like we all just spoke about, having had experiences with and I think everybody has experiences with because we're socialised under a patriarchal society. So it starts with feeling, with mapping and then integrating change within, you know, your life based on that. And that's in a moment-by-moment moment thing, dropping the intensity that you're kickboxing at or increasing the intensity 
or practicing punches today but not kicks because that's what's feeling good but then also going to kickboxing as a whole and realizing that's something you do want to do or if it's something that you don't want to do but yoga is much more your style than honoring that and then going to that regularly so it's like moment to moment but also how I plan my week which really speaks to me because I am such a week planner <laughs> kind of a person you should see my google calendar <laughs> I've seen it and we're all terrified. Um, <laughs> yeah, what a beautiful summary though. I beautiful. love that. I love that stepped approach too because, you know, you can't get to integration without feeling and mapping first, right? Like it's it's really wonderful. Um, and I kind of love that flow on effect because, you know, you can't be uh, an embodied person and not be authentic by default you know like it goes hand in hand um and there's just so many wonderful I guess flow on follow on effects that happen when people do tap into that it's magical and giving like reintroducing the concept of choice reintroducing that concept of choice and and what you're saying like the power over model the power over your body like saying I don't care how my body feels. If I'm tired, I want to go for, I'm going for a walk because I've committed to that or this is my schedule. I'm going to do this. And reintroducing choice and listening to your body and just really, really embodying that your body is not something to be commanded and told what to do. It's something to be loved and nurtured. Yes. I love the word nurtured as well. It's just, it's such a special word. It just conjures up so many warm, fuzzy feelings in my heart. I love it. But I really think though, that through this whole conversation and just talking about radical joy in general, the most radical thing that trauma survivors can do is to just be themselves without apology, to be fully themselves, to be authentic. I think in society we really chase this idea of happiness as the benchmark and I feel like that sets people up to fail because happiness can shift and we experience lots of different emotions, right? But if we set ourselves to live authentic lives, then happiness comes by proxy. Um, And so if I think about when I shifted that mindset, when I thought about, you know, I'm not going to be happy all the time and that's going to be okay. And I'm not going to shame myself for having really normal trauma responses and feeling grief and sadness around what's happened. Um, But I am going to try and be more myself. That's when I was able to really lean into healing. What do you think about the Fight Back Project? This is a leading question, but what do you think about the Fight Back Project helps with that? Because I, I think about that, right, in that it's not just what I want, it's also how can we help people be their authentic selves or create spaces for people to be their authentic self. And um, I'm curious for yourself, Penny, especially with a few different intersections, like what ways did the Fight Back Project facilitate that? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think to start with, um, you know, I really just wanted to find a space where I could explore healing without being in reaction to 
trauma where I could um, express to you what I needed on an individual, uh, you know, private way. Um, And then we could explore that within a group setting that had safety set up for it. But I think also, you know, as a woman, as a queer person, just finding a space where I knew that uh, I wouldn't just be accepted or tolerated, that I'd actually be included was very important. Um, And, you know, we can't we can't know that. It's not enough for an organization just to exist and to be kind and respectful. We have to signal to people that we are going to include them. We have to set that up before the fact, you know, that's how equity works. We need to make sure that we have those those bridges in place, which of course you did when I came to you and I Googled trauma-informed kickboxing. Um, you know, I could see that very explicitly from the start, from when I met you, when we interacted, when I looked through the website, um, all of those things set up in my mind a mental checklist for safety. And that's, you know, what I found. So it wasn't just about, I guess, the the symbols or or anything like that. It was about the actions and the behaviors that followed and the consistency. Um, and I know recently when we spoke at the Pride and Sport Conference, I talked about this as well, whereby, you know, we talk a lot about safe spaces and certainly within the LGBTQ community, we talk a lot about safe spaces as well. Um, but I think that we need to be careful when we say that because we can't guarantee that people will be safe at all times ever right that's not possible um and i think that sometimes we we can uh you know really hurt people when we try and guarantee that but we actually can't so what we can do though is we can set up spaces whereby we're going to be compassionate and caring when there is rupture and repair and to have those opportunities that represent the positive sides of conflict, if that is to occur, um, or, you know, whatever the situation might be that's caused the anguish for people within our collective space. Um, You know, we're going to have a rupture. We're going to go through that repair process. We're going to hold you through it. We're going to, you know, all be accountable for upholding safety. Um, So long response, but (laughs) great response yeah and I mean we talk a lot about the safety risk support cycle so you know how can we find a way to make someone feel safe enough to enter the space even if we can't guarantee safety even for someone to feel safe enough to start at the space is a huge um, achievement there's something that requires a lot of thoughtfulness and thinking about you know the specific people who are interacting with your space and that really comes down to the sixth principle of trauma-informed care when we talk about being sensitive to different genders cultural cultures and historical issues and differences so can we create enough safety that someone's willing to take a risk and a risk can even just being in a space right well we can't 100% guarantee safety so something might happen um because we can't guarantee that, but also they might take a risk and a risk could be, you know, in martial arts, that could be trying a technique where you might not get it right the first time and that could be embarrassing. It could be demonstrating in front of the class the technique or the combination. It could be putting your hand up for that all the way up to, you know, going into competition and and sort of everywhere in between, right? And then how do we support someone in the aftermath of that risk, whether or not that was a, a perceived win or a loss by them? 100%. And, you know, I think it sets people up in a a way to 
support exploration and for there to um, be no right or wrong way to do that or no like speed that is correct, quote unquote. Um, But it also reminds me of a Mate quote as well that says safety is not the absence of threat, it's the presence of connection. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that really encapsulates exactly what we're talking about here. You know, we can't um, guarantee no threats. We can't guarantee no danger. We can't guarantee that you're always going to be safe all the time outside of our space, but we can guarantee that, you know, we're going to connect with you. We're going to, we're going to wrap around you. Mm. One of the, something that just reminded me of Penny when, so I've just come, I spent a bit of time in the Philippines and there was a lot of different coaches from different gyms there and one of the coaches, Gio, he's this beautiful Italian man. He runs um, Carlson Gracie down at Palm Beach on the Gold Coast. And someone was nervous about rolling with me <clears throat> or like, oh, you know, oh, are you sure you want to roll with me? I'm like, I don't, give, I don't care. What are you talking about? Let's roll. And Gio said, he said to her, you know what, the bet, the, the, best belt that you will ever receive is your white belt because you're coming onto the mat and it's scary to come to class especially when you first start because you have all of these insecure like and I'm sure this is true like starting anything right but it shows you know like it's the first time especially as an adult I don't think that there's many and this is just my perception so but there's not many things that are really scary and showing up as an adult into a new environment where you don't know anyone and you don't have any friends and you're trying something that you've never done, you have no proficiency in and there's so many other people and, you know, you go into this, I used to go into this comparative space and you're not sure, but it's, it's being, well, I, I like to always make sure if I'm, if I see a new face in the gym, I'll go up to them, I'll introduce myself and every single person, whether it be a black belt or a white belt, when I, when I shake hands with people, I always say, thank you so much for coming to training today. It's a pleasure to share the mats with you. And what I think that does is that it creates safety. It creates a community. It creates you, every single person, and whether we're in a trauma-informed space or you know, even a workplace. Every time I have a new person start in my workplace, I always make sure, hey, just so you know, I'm here for you. If you have any questions at all, um, here's my personal number. Here's my WhatsApp. I'm not going to respond to your Slack, but I will respond to this. But I want to make sure that you know that I'm available for you so that if you have any questions, you feel confused, I'm here for you. Even on the mats in jiu-jitsu, if there's a mixed class of white belts and color belts, I'll always partner with a white belt and that's because you can create safety. They feel safe with you. They feel, okay, or that, you know, that's actually pretty presumptive. But, you know, if you can create that safe space for them to learn and encourage them and impart knowledge, you're making your gym a better place. You're, You're being that that advocate for them you're being that friendly person who's been doing martial arts or doing anything longer than them and they go oh yeah George is my friend Penny's my friend Penny's been doing this program for a long time she's a graduate I trust Penny I know that if anything goes if I feel like if I'm questioning anything I feel safe going to Penny and saying hey you know like I'm feeling this or 
you know, like it doesn't have to just be a coach or someone who runs a gym that is creating safety. It's a, it's on all of us, you know, and this isn't just in gyms. This is in a, in a deeper sense of society. We can create safety by being a safe person for people to come to and talk to about things. hundred percent. And what I thought of when you were saying that is just what you're really giving is, uh, you're holding up a mirror to those white belts and you're you're showing them their power within themselves and then you're demonstrating power with instead of power over. Um, and that's incredible, Mish. It, I don't think it can be uh, overestimated what sort of connecting ability that has um, because people see what it's like for, you know, folks who are super experienced like yourself, certainly what world champions can be like. And that's something that, you know, if they want to, they can aspire to, but just knowing that, you know, that exists and that they belong and that they're included is amazing. I had that. I mm. had that. And I I openly share, sto- like, oh, when was it? A couple of weeks ago, a guy was nervous about, he was like, he was like, oh, do you really want to roll with me? Like, I don't know if I'm, oh, nah, I don't think you want to roll with me. I'm just a white belt. I was like, bro. I want to roll with you. And he was like, oh, and I said to him, dude, I remember when I started and I would be sitting in the car, I'd drive an hour to the gym and I would sit in my car anxious to get out, nervous to get out. And then I would make up excuses and lie to leave the class early so that I wouldn't have to spar with anyone because in my head I'd had created a story that said, because I'm only this experienced, I'm not good enough to roll with these people. They're not going to get anything out of it. And my coach, his name's Aaron, oh, he was my coach at the time. His name's Aaron Steinmetz, beautiful, beautiful person. He stopped me one day when I was leaving class and he was like, Mish, I want you to know that I don't mind if you need to leave class early, he said, and I'm never going to question you and you're always safe to leave early. He said, but I also want you to know that you're very valued at this club and that no matter what happens, everyone gains something from rolling with you. And if there is something going on off the map, that we're all here for you and we're all here to support you. And he said, everyone here has gone through things and we're here to grow together. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't leave early anymore. <laughs> Oh my god, that almost makes me a bit emotional hearing. I that. know, dude, and he—he's such Sweet an angel. awesome person. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's because of people like that. On everyone, everyone has a person. Well, I hope that everyone has a person like that on their journey, right? And whether that be martial arts or any other form of sport, there's always that, that those safe people, those incredible people that will support you and and give you that. I don't know, give you a sense of safety on the mats. And I feel like as people who are coming up through the sport, you're not, you know, like you might get a belt or you might win a competition or you might win a fight, but it's also your response. You become not a leader. What's the right word? I can't think of the right word, but you. A role model? Role model. That's the one, right? Ching. Yeah. If you want to see your sport remain beautiful and remain and have a great community, you've got to build that from the inside out and be that person for for new people coming in. 
Yeah, absolutely. I just think about how different, uh, I guess, my trajectory would have been and, you know, how different future generations' trajectories can be because of people just speaking their truth, just being themselves, just being authentic uh, and, you know, showing up in spaces that they've been written out of, showing up in spaces where they haven't seen themselves represented and then, you know, conversely, yes, having that representation, having LGBTQ people do really well in sports, absolutely thrive, just kick goals, do amazingly well, have beautiful relationships, families, connections, communities, organisations, not always have my communities conflated with, you know, like illness and violence and not doing well. Um, I just want to... I guess, uplift and and elevate wherever possible, like what excellence looks like when we can all have access um, to the ability to be our true authentic selves and to, you know, be embodied, be empowered, be mindful. Um, And that's certainly, I think, where I've found some traction now for the kind of platform that I've been privileged enough to get access to, even just being able to reply to somebody's messages on Instagram about like, hey, this looks really cool. I might want to try it. And maybe they won't, right? You know, a lot of people have, which is amazing. Um, But even just having a positive response gives people the knowledge that there is a place where they're thought of, where they're accepted and they're included and they belong. Um, And that's what I think everyone really does deserve. We all deserve belonging. That's, you know, or what humans crave, what we all strive for, what we're hardwired for. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's Human Rights Day. So, you know, oh, every, yeah, full circle. <laughs> it's every human right to have access to, to joy, to spaces. You know, we're recording this in Australia, which is a nation that is strongly underpinned by sport. Even from a sport perspective, I think we can't understate how important sport is to Australians and everybody deserves to have access Mm. to sport. Um, I often talk about one of the big motivators to why we're going to open a gym, why we're going to, you know, create spaces that are safe for women and also create spaces that are safe for everybody is because I once met a gay man who was wearing an old and battered UFC hat and so I assumed that like he was interested in in martial arts and so I started talking to him about it and he was like oh yeah I'm super interested in learning but I've never been to a gym um because it wouldn't be a safe space for me but I wear this hat every day because this hat symbolizes to other people that I must know how to fight and therefore I'm less likely to be attacked because of my sexuality Things like that make it just like a burning need for me to make this this mm-hmm. incredible space of martial arts, which has all of the capacity that we just spoke about in helping people be embodied and, and confident and have a relationship to community and change their relationship to themselves. And we could go on and on and on and on and on. And all those things are wonderful, but they're kind of... Um, just really not as wonderful if they could be as they could be if they're not accessible to everybody and the people Mm -hmm. that we need to make them accessible to are the people who don't have access right now and that Mm -hmm. is overwhelmingly women and lgbtq people 
Mm. And, and in Australia, I would say as well, people of color. Um, but we're, we're crossing one bridge at a time for sure. Yeah. Any final uh, thoughts? We've actually done incredibly well at not going super super far over time everyone um I will flip to the audience maybe and say if there's a topic that you would like us to come back on and dig into uh in the new year please get in touch with me via my you know the fight by project website or us on social media or any of our social media platforms there's so many ways you can ask questions if you want us to to deep dive more on any of what we've spoken about but I really hope this conversation um has been a it's still a heavy space but a space that's helped you feel more resourced um and you know ready to continue on with what is a very difficult time of year for a lot of people right it's the 10th of December now so 15 days till Christmas which means family interactions or lack of family interactions it's a very heavy time of year for a lot of people plus it's the end of the 16 days plus everything in the media that was our motivation for coming to this and I don't want to dwell on that but to say that the things that we've spoken about in terms of finding your blueprint for yourself, finding a connection to your body, finding a safe community to be able to explore that within and then starting to make choices based on what's an embodied yes for you um, and then being, you know, the role model within communities that helps other people see themselves in those spaces are all, I think, actionable things that you can take away from this conversation as well as just having enjoyed spending an hour with the three of us, obviously. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I just want to reflect on what you were saying about self-care and not in like the capitalist sense of, you know, it's always having a spa day, even though those are wonderful and I personally do enjoy them. Um, Coming up to this season, I think, though, it's also like having scripts around what isn't isn't okay. Um, You know, especially body-based shaming is big at this time of year and it can be really hard to move away from. Um, if there's any comments that you come across and you have the ability to speak up, even just saying, you know, I don't talk about my body like that is a really good way to shut those conversations down um, and feeling like strong and and affirmed in that um, and know that we always have your back. Um, We're always in your corner. So if you need three champions um, to think of, then we are here for you. Final words from you. I Throughout this time, it can get really tough for people. And like you said, either a lot of family interactions or lack thereof, if you are feeling a certain way, reach out to people. Like people care so much more than what we think and the and the narrative that we tell ourselves. So if you need some time out, like step into that space and say, hey, I'm I'm actually not going to come to this event. I just I just need a break. <laughs> I just need to take a time out tonight. And that can be self-care. Or if you're feeling left out and a little bit alone, reach out to one of your friends and say, hey, I'm I'm just feeling a little bit lonely. Is it cool if we get dinner or grab a coffee or have breakfast or something like that? Or even just chat on the phone or or use Zoom, use Google Meet, something like that. Just remember that you have community and that you are connected. 
And I think I want to follow on from, from the boundary setting piece, which both of you brought up, right? Um, we spoke about experiential learning. And I think um, <laughs> I think everything that we do in life, we need to have done reps of first, whether that's kickboxing techniques, jujitsu techniques, martial arts techniques, lifting weights, and grounding ourselves and setting boundaries. It's oftentimes really difficult for the first time you set the boundary to be in response to a comment from somebody who you're really close to or, you know, family. So if there's somebody who, it sounds so weird, but if you can practice saying, you know, um, no. I'm not open to having this conversation, saying no, saying like, I'm okay to talk about these other topics or whatever deflection strategy that you want to use. And, and Insta therapy is full of ways that people can respond. But I think the piece that is missing there is practicing that before you actually have to use it, which can often cause us to freeze or people please to freeze or fawn because those mm. will be our defaults. So we do need to practice changing um, those default responses and the only way to do that is to embody that change and to practice it. And it's going to feel also like kind of crap the first time. And I think mm. something, there's a, a quote that's like, just because someone didn't tolerate your boundary or didn't accept your boundary doesn't mean you were wrong to have set the boundary. <laughs> Not everyone's going to take it. Can we get a clap? <laughs> right? When I heard that, I was like, <laughs> back. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Bless it. Um, sorry, you might have just hit a nerve, Georgia. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> God, I really hope that people watch this YouTube because our facial expressions and stuff through this have just been unbelievable. Um, but no, that's such a good point, though. Like, practice um, is really important because even just saying those things can bring up a whole range of emotions as well and and whatnot. Um, and also just, I guess, piggybacking off what Mesh was saying as well and, you know, around events and pressure, and it's not always to do with family as well. It can be friends. Um, sometimes saying no is the joyful thing, and sometimes we just need to choose the joyful thing, you know. Sometimes we need our nights in. Sometimes we just need to go and do an extra class class or or not do a class or whatever it might be um but you know I think it's important to uh sometimes it's really hard to think about you know disappointing other people rather than disappointing ourselves and you know um disappointing ourselves um is kind of the opposite I guess of of being authentic and, and true to ourselves. And that's certainly um, a big shame trigger at this time of year, for sure, where we do want to um, go into those kind of people-pleasing stages. Like you were saying, Georgia, that kind of fawn response. Um, and I feel like that's probably really relevant for folks with um, families as well at times. Um, yeah, it's, it's tricky. Um, and, you know, so just be gentle wherever you can with yourself and, and hold that space and, and know that, you know, we all slip up sometimes for sure, but try to choose the joyful thing wherever you can. And let's finish the year soft. Yes. Yes. Strong. <laughs> uh, really quickly, of course, it'll be in the show notes, but if folks want to connect with either of you, where are you online? Voice of small change on Instagram. Misha BJJ on Instagram. Love it. Have you thought of something to be grateful for today? What was it? 
I am grateful for the amazing women that train with me at the Fight Back Project. I'm grateful for Nari and the beautiful song Shape Me heard at the beginning and end of every episode. And I'm grateful for you for listening to this show and helping martial arts keep saving lives. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you'd like to leave me a review to help more people find the show, that's a bonus. shapes me but me don't gotta tell you what my name is i don't gotta explain it walk in the room here a boom erupting like i'm famous i'm here shedding shells i'm shameless i fear nothing no complacence Walk to many tight ropes with no hope, so I became this poster they hold over all the heads of trauma holders. You don't need to know my history, I move boulders. Atlas shrug, cause I lifted the weight above his shoulders. No pretense of defense, move first like chess soldiers. This goes deeper than empowerment, cause huh, I'm the one to power it. Physical meets mental challenge me to keep devouring. If I can't change the scenery, at least I change perspectives. No longer isolated, but elevated and selective. Darkest places become beautiful spaces. This is where rage meets patience. Meets power meets gracious. Meets, we're so glad you came in. The feeling is contagious. When you the walking impact of intended bad intentions. When you the manifesting of collecting all they tensions. You the soul and body hold it all and still remember. But I'm a work in progress, testament to all contenders. Forgot what it was like to have control over self. Forgot what it was like to be the one in charge. Forgot in my reflection, I can see all my wealth. Forgot that with my bare hands, I break all these bars, barriers, and obstacles. They can't cage me. They can't chronicle all my experiences and reduce them to appearances. When I was truly beaten, gave myself clearances to fall down, mess up, and get myself back up. I'm not looking for clovers because I don't believe in luck. Damn, you were badass. I heard them say it clearly. Why, thank you very much. I know now I'm not weary of what's next for me because I expect to see growth like I was planted, watered, fed, and bloomed to be the positivity and accountability. Knowing they won't step if I'm the agent of my agency. I think I found my voice again, huh? I think I found my voice again, huh? I'm not sorry, I'm not sorry, you're the end where I begin. Boundaries, I know them well. Take a breath and meditate. Who is she? I know her well. Now I get to open gates. One, two, one, two. I don't need your permission. And if you get uncomfortable, then use your intuition to know that I won't stay where respect is ever missing. And everything I do, that's me making decisions. It's truly underrated, the value of self-worth. Forgot that I was rich from the moment of my birth. A penny for my thoughts, no really. You can't afford it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it, huh?